0: Hello, everyone. This is PJ Williams from Conspiracy Pilled. And if you aren't aware, Conspiracy Pilled is a production of Hawkhound Media, which already has so many wonderful shows, but we've just added a brand new show called Quirks of Creation. So I'm here presenting you uh, one of the first episodes of this show, and it goes into the worldwide flood narrative. It talks about things like the Epic of Gilgamesh, things that me and Abby have covered on our show before, but it comes at it from a historical, scientific, archaeological narrative, a little bit different than what we go into. But I think it's a wonderful supplement to some of the things we cover. And beyond that, it's just a fantastic fantastic show. So check out this first episode. If you enjoy it, don't forget to find course of creation on rumble on odyssey or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Enjoy the episode.
1: everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Quirks of Creation, the show where we are bringing you weird science and crazy archaeological discoveries, both from the perspective of fact and through the lens of the biblical creation story. My name is Jess, and with me today, as always, is the proton to my electron, the quirk to my quirk, Elise. Welcome! Yay! Thank you, Jess. I'm so excited to be back and doing this
2: again. Me too. Yay! Episode two. Episode so two. So excited! We got to come back and do it again. I am geeked. Let's do it. Let's so, what are you it. telling us about? Yeah. So tonight we're going to discuss the flood, and like you said, I love how you put it through the lens of creation. But also, we're going to be pulling some facts that'll make you question um, what is what is going on. What's what's out there? What's there to see? So, I'm going to jump in. So um to start i just want to say you know as christians and believers we take a lot of things on faith Uh, we have faith that we are loved and forgiven we have faith that god made man in his image we have faith that god will never leave us nor forsake us we have faith that jesus died and conquered death and rose again and we also have faith that he will return and while faith is fundamental yeah uh, yeah absolutely and while our faith is fundamental I'm also of the belief that God left his mark everywhere, and it's not a blind faith that we follow him. Definitely not. No.
1: That's um, the whole point of the show.
2: That's the whole point. That's why we're here. <laughs> so all you have to do is look for it, and if you can't find it, we'll point it out for you. <laughs> that's right. Um, Let's see here. So with that, we don't need evidence to believe, but I do love when the signs point to our creator. So without any more preamble, let's get started talking about the flood. <laughs> now, I'm sure most of you, if not all watching, listening, have heard the story of the flood. But here's a quick refresher, just in case. Uh, recap. God saw the earth was corrupt and full of violence and Noah was a righteous man. God warned him that he was going to flood the earth and purge the earth of all this wickedness. He told Noah to build an ark and fill it with two animals of every kind. If you don't know why, two of each can't really help you. Not my department, <laughs> but uh, Noah did as he was told. He built the ark, filled it with two animals of every kind, got on the ark with his wife, three sons and their wives and waited out the flood. Rain for 40 days and 40 nights. And after the rain stopped and the water began to recede, the ark landed on Mount Ararat. Mm. Long story short, They were eventually able to leave the ark and repopulate the earth. And that is the story of Noah, obviously condensed version, as we know it as Christians today. (laughs) Um, So before we jump into more current and geological evidence of a cataclysmic flood, I wanted to share a few more stories that have some weird similarities and coincidences alongside the story of Noah. I love it. Yeah. So a few stories from around the world. The first one is the um, Epic of Gilgamesh, Hmm. which I know you've heard of. And I think you said you read forever ago, just like me.
1: (laughs) Forever ago, like when I was in college. And it was like, yeah. (laughs) And you had to. And And I had to. And I probably didn't understand it at the time, like all of the books that I read in college. (laughs) Right, right. Cliff Notes was my friend. and. (laughs)
2: and so yeah so while I don't remember this one like (laughs) that well as well as I should uh, I do remember there being a story of the flood and this kind of sparked my interest in digging deeper into the flood and evidence of it because after I had found that in the epic of Gilgamesh I was like oh I wonder if there are more stories turns out there's a lot (laughs) there's a lot of stories from everywhere and again that kind of got me on this um train into digging more into it so recap for both of us and anybody else who doesn't remember (laughs) the epic of Gilgamesh (laughs) this is just a small portion of that whole epic poem but um basically the story goes
1: uh,
2: that Gilgamesh was on this quest and during this quest um Let's see. He ran into Utnapishtim, which was actually a relative of his. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize a lot of things again, because I don't remember this
1: very well, but that's the trouble with reading these things when you're in college and not coming back to them when you're an adult or like waiting till way later. It's like all the things you miss. Yeah. It's like, Oh, that was there. Oh, cool. Um, But so
2: anyway, he runs into this uh, relative of his Utnapishtim who's, basically in the middle of nowhere, kind of isolated from the world. And he tells Gilgamesh the story of the flood. Mm. According to him, the god Enlil is annoyed with humans. They're too loud and they're making it so he can't sleep. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, relatable. I mean, I get it. I get it. But basically the gods get together in this council and they're like, yeah, that's annoying let's get rid of them. This wasn't, this isn't worth it. This isn't worth it anymore. <laughs> and, uh, but there is one God and I believe it's pronounced Ea, But I can be way off. So I apologize. If anybody knows, let me know. But Ia um, warned Utnapishtim in a dream and told him to build a boat out of his house. He and his wife, their children and family animals and their servants all gathered in this makeshift houseboat. It's what I like to call it. Right. And the storm raged on for seven days and seven nights, and they landed on the Mount of Nicaea. Um, On the seventh day of being stuck on this mountain, he loosed a dove, but she returned. The next day, a swallow, and she returned as well because they had nowhere to land. But then the next day, he sent out a raven, and the raven did not return. Mm. So then he opened the door, gave a sacrifice to the gods, and him and his wife were blessed with immortality by the god Enlil to show his benevolence.
1: So
2: I want to get rid of everybody.
1: Copy paste, not gonna lie. Right, right. And a lot of people out there
2: saying <laughs> this correct me up. But a lot of people out there are saying that Gilgamesh was first, that this this story was first, yeah. And the Bible copied the epic of Gilgamesh. Um I, I read an article, I wasn't gonna share this, but I am now. Do <laughs> this I read an article that was arguing. That the Epic of Gilgamesh came first. And it was saying that the Epic of Gilgamesh came first because they found the tablet that it was written on and it was dated to about 1800 BCE, I believe. Mm. Um, so written well before the Bible was written, according to this article. And then, oh, and then the, the part that got me was they're like, well, both stories were oral traditions, obviously, for a very long time before they were written down. But ultimately, the Epic of Gilgamesh came first because the tablet was written first. Right. I was like, okay. Let's <sighs> whatever. I'm going to get into that a little bit more later as to why I don't think that's very accurate. All right. But yeah, you can see. Already, just these two stories alone, we could talk about the similarities and some differences, and all that jazz. Oh, wait, there's more.
1: There's more. <laughs> I there's do want to point out real quick on yeah. Rumble Bookstore, Thoris cracking me up. He says the Raven was like, "I'll come back to this houseboat never more." <laughs> <laughs> that was so funny. I had got to. Got some Poe
2: in there. I love yeah. it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my gosh.
2: Uh, so, the next one, we're going to go to Greece. So, in Greek mythology, they of course also had a flood story. Mm-hmm. And in Greek mythology, it is Deucalion and his wife, Pyrrha. Zeus was sending a flood to punish mankind. And really, he was just punishing one man. And this guy, um, can't remember his name, didn't write it down. I don't think I'd pronounce it right anyway. <laughs> Fair. So, I'll spare you all. <laughs> Uh, this one guy tried to murder Zeus and then he served the gods human flesh for dinner. So Zeus was mad. I know. But it's He's actually like, like a very crazy story, obviously.
0: But Zeus all was of really just the Greek dis- myths are crazy. I know.
2: They're all nuts. Like I actually love Greek mythology because it's just so wild. Yeah. And the stories I'm like, man, I don't know. It's fun. It's a fun thing to
1: kind of It is fun.
2: Jump into sometimes. Ah, uh, So Zeus was like, you know, this guy ticked me off. I'm going to get rid of all of them. We don't need humans anymore. Right. Um, but Deucalion was the son of the Titan Prometheus. So Prometheus warned his son of the incoming flood. And Deucalion and his wife Pyrrha got into, it's either a chest or a boat. They were it, Either way, it was like already made.
0: Most so they stories didn't have to build
1: it. It was just there. Yeah. That'd be was weird there. to be in a chest. Like, how are you going to breathe in that thing? Would it float? Would it just sink? Like, you don't and really think of a chest as something that floats.
2: No. Right. So, and that is most of the stories I found. It was a chest. Some of them said both. And it's like, if you think about it, it wasn't just a like ride along a smooth lake for a few days. It's right. like a flood. So it's pretty turbulent and... I don't know the thought of a ch- being in a chest. That's some
1: crazy seasickness. Oh my
2: gosh! Just like I didn't even tumbled. think about seasickness, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. And apparently, so they get into this chest or boat or whatever, and they fill it with provisions they needed. No animals, just the two of them and the food that they would need. And Zeus sends down the rains and asks his brother Poseidon to help swell the oceans and rivers to flood the earth. The flood lasts for nine days and anyone who survived the flood ultimately starved to death, starved to death, excuse me, except for Deucalion and Pyrrha. Right. They landed at Mount Parnassus and they found a temple there, which survived the flood because why not? Because why not? (laughs) Because why not?
1: And then where did the animals go? Did they take the animals with them into the chest?
2: No, no. So they didn't. There's no animals, and apparently they just sprang up out of the earth after all the water disappeared. Like, because why not? We're back. We didn't go anywhere. (laughs) And then the funny part is, so at this temple, the priestess is named, um, or the goddess there is named. It starts with Themis, and she tells them in a really weird way that they need to throw rocks over their shoulders, and they're like, okay. So they both start throwing these rocks over their shoulders, <laughs> and all the ones that Ducalion throws turn into men, and then all the ones his wife throws, they turn into women. So okay. we really aren't related to them anymore, like at all, because we all came we from We all rocks. came from rocks, apparently. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't make this connection till right now, of course, but, you know, we came from the earth, both in this story and in the mm. Bible. I don't know. Okay. Rocks,
1: yeah. dirt. I don't know. Same thing. Maybe I like what. Uh, yeah, I like what Kelsey says over on Rumble. Is that where we get the salt superstition? I was thinking that too while you were saying Ooh. that. Like when you spill salt, you're supposed to throw it over your shoulder or something over your like shoulder. that. Still look into that too, because that's a good. That's a good question. I have no All idea, right. but that is a good question. I also <laughs> have to point out Abby Libby with the Rumble rant. I think you mean Prometheus monster. Prometheus was the doctor. <laughs> that joke will never get old.
2: I love it. I love it.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh!
2: Um, so after this crazy story, I found a story from Wales and the Welsh, which I didn't. I didn't even think about Europe, but they have them too. Yeah. So in Wales, they have a story of. <laughs> Again, I am sorry if I pronounce all of these wrong, but it's Welsh and I. Right, I mean
1: <laughs> sorry to our Welsh listeners. Yeah, I'm so sorry.
2: But the stories of Dwyfan and Dwyfatch, and the two soul, they are the two sole survivors of a huge flood caused by Affink, which is a monster that lived in Lake Lion, I think. Mm. They survived in a massless boat with two of each animal, and after the flood they repopulated. Britain that's all but I just it was a story from Europe yeah a Welsh flood myth go figure (laughs) the next one is probably my favorite I'm not really sure why I just love this story Um, but it's from the Pawnee and the Pawnee tribe from the plains of North America told this story to Buffalo Bill Cody Um, it's actually a chief Pawnee scout that told him this story and um this I'm gonna read this little excerpt. It's actually from Buffalo Bill Cody's autobiography. Mm. So quote, yeah, which I didn't know he had an autobiography. Me <laughs> Now I'm like, oh, add that to my list. But um, so quote, it goes: While we were in the hills scouting the Nio- Niobrara count- country, excuse me, mm. the Pawnees brought in some very large bones. One of which, the surgeon of the expedition, it was a college-funded expedition for fossils said was the thigh bone of a human being. The Indians said the bones were those of a race of people who long ago lived in the country. These giants, they said, denied the existence of the great spirit. When they heard thunder or lightning, they laughed and declared themselves to be greater than either. This so displeased the great spirit that he caused a deluge. The water rose higher and higher till it drove those proud giants from the lowlands to the hills and thence to the mountains. At last, even the mountaintops were submerged and the mammoth men were drowned. This story has been handed down among the Pawnee for generations, end quote.
1: Oh my gosh. See, I feel like that one out of all of them aligns most closely to the Bible because, I mean, that's the reason God flooded the earth. It's because mankind was getting kinky with the Nephilim. Right. Agreed. Agreed. And actually, a
2: lot of the um, Native American stories have very similar um, feels to them. Like they have stories wow. of giants and that they were the, the evil doers that the great spirit wanted to get rid of. So most of these kind of flow with that, with that theme. So I was like, hmm, I could dig deeper into that if I wanted to too, which we probably will. Let's be honest later. <laughs> yeah. Again, that one's one of my favorites. Uh, this one is from South America and it's from the Incas and they tell the story, Of the time of uh, Pacha Chama, which kind of reminds me of oh, what was that Disney movie with the
1: llama? Oh, oh, Emperor's uh, New Groove. Yes, Emperor's (laughs) New Groove. He's like hey, Pacha, Pacha. I love that movie. I do too.
2: It reminded me of that, so I had to use this story perfect but um it says when humankind was cruel barbaric and murderous no one was focusing on the gods and humans did whatever they wanted whenever they wanted they only focused on murdering each other or stealing the only good people left lived high in the andes mountains and there were two brothers that were shepherds and they noticed that their llamas were sad and started to sigh and stare up at the stars at night the brothers asked the llamas what was going on and they said that the stars told them that a great flood was coming the brothers decided to take this seriously because who wouldn't if a llamas Right. If my llama was to you, talking
1: to me, I would definitely yeah. take him seriously.
2: I would probably Yep, yep. <laughs> so So they gathered their families and llamas and hid in the highest mountain cave. Rain for months without end, and they could hear the cries from the dying people below. As the rainwater rose, so did the mountain, continuing to keep them safe. And eventually the rain stopped and the sun god Inti smiled and the water began to evaporate. The brothers looked out and saw that the land was dry and the mountain went back to its original height. And the shepherds and their families repopulated the earth. Um, Animals? Well, we have llamas. We have llamas. (laughs) We got llamas. They're fine. Maybe the rest of them sprung out of the ground too.
1: I don't know. Who knows? (laughs) Who knows?
2: But uh, the end to this story goes... Human beings live everywhere. Llamas, however, remember the flood and prefer
1: to live only in the highlands. I just thought that. Was Interesting. Yeah. I, I think that's kind of cute, actually. It's like the reason yeah. the llamas live in the highlands is because yeah. they remember the flood. And that just makes me think of like genetic memory. Um, yeah. Like some of the deer who live in Germany won't ever go to where the wall used to be. Um, so I, I mean, that. yeah. That's because awesome. of that genetic memory. weird I like
2: it, I like it.
1: yeah, so I never thought of that, but I like that spin from
2: that. Um, the next one is from East Africa, and this one was pretty similar to I like this one a lot. goes Tumbe not. a righteous man had a wife and three sons. when his brother died. Tumbinat, according to custom, married the widow, Nahaba Lagunja. You're doing yep. great. Yeah. I am so sorry. <laughs> you are doing way better than I would do. Whoa, <laughs> oh, my word. Who bore him three more sons, but they argued about her refusal to give him a drink of milk in the evening, and she set up her own homestead. The world was heavily populated in those days, but the people were sinful and not mindful of God. However, they refrained from murdering until at last a man named Nambija hit another, another person on the head. At this, God resolved to destroy mankind, except Tumbinat found grace in his eyes. God commanded him to build an ark of wood and enter it with his two wives, six sons and their wives, and some animals of every sort. When they were all aboard in provision, God caused a great long rain, which caused a flood, and all other men and beasts drowned. The ark drifted for a long time, and provisions began to run low. The rain finally stopped, and Tumbanot let loose a dove to ascertain the state of the flood. The dove returned tired, so he knew it had found no place to rest. Several days later, he loosed a vulture. But first, he attached an arrow to one of his tail feathers, so that if the bird landed, the arrow would hook onto something and be lost. The vulture returned that evening without the arrow, so he reasoned that it must have landed on Carrion and that the flood was receding. When the water ran away, the ark grounded on the the steps and its occupants disembarked. He saw four rainbows, one in each quarter of the sky, signifying that God's
1: wrath was over. They just had to one-up you with the rainbows instead of one. They had to have four. He got four. No, only got one. I Whatever. see how it is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like fine. what Abby Libby says over on rumble. It sounds like they mixed up Cain and Abel and the flood and this one. Yeah. That's what I thought too. I was like, Oh, you
2: just kind of mash them together and we get one good story out of it. I guess.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is so interesting. Which one, uh, where was that one from again? That was East Africa, East Africa. Mm-hmm. And then the last one I have is a
2: Hindu story about Manu, the first mm-hmm. human. He found a small fish in his washwater, and the fish begged protection from the larger fish, and in return for which it was and in return it would save Manu. Manu kept the fish safe, transferring it to larger and larger reservoirs as it grew, eventually taking it to the ocean. The fish warned the fish warned Manu of a coming deluge and told him to build a ship. When the flood rose, the fish came and Manu tried tied the craft to its horn. Apparently it has a horn, which Maybe it was a narwhal. I don't know. (laughs) Narwhal! Yeah. The fish led him to a northern mountain and told Manu to tie the ship's rope to a tree to prevent it from drifting. Manu alone, of all creatures, survived. He made offerings of clarified butter, sour milk, whey, and curds. Don't know where he got them. From these, a woman arose, calling herself Manu's daughter. Whatever blessings he invoked through her were granted him. And through her, he generated this race. Hmm. Yeah. So hmm. I know. Hmm.
1: Interesting. I like what Bookstore Thor says over on Rumble. Interesting how the newer the story, the more mythic and less specific it becomes.
2: Ah, you're getting ahead of me and I like it. But that is a <laughs> point I have too, is okay. um, you know, the Bible kind of has this almost historical text feel to it, very mm-hmm. descriptive.
1: Whereas she like she said, these get more mythical. More fanciful, if you will. I mean, he literally gives us the dimensions for the ark. That's how they built the one in Kentucky. Exactly, exactly. Uh, Well, I don't know about you, but all these stories
2: of water make me thirsty. (laughs) But rather than a deluge of water, I want coffee. So I love it. Yay. Um HaCom Media and Quirks and Creation are proud to be sponsored by North Arrow Coffee. Not only is this roast to order coffee absolutely delicious, but fifteen percent of their sales go to support pro-life organizations, and that is something to raise your mug to. Jeez. So head over to North Arrow Coffee and use Hawkound, all one word, to get 10% off of your order, delicious coffee.
1: Yeah. I, I'm not gonna lie, Cheers. that was the perfect ad read. Absolutely <laughs> perfect. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, it'll get better. Oh. At least you remembered all the things to say. It took me forever to figure out what I needed to say. <clears throat> I copied yours from last week.
2: Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Made it into my own words. Perfect. I'm also trying to throw in some
1: water pl- puns whenever I can. So that water pun was perfect. <laughs> yeah. Abby says Elise is already better at ad reads than me. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no. So, okay. So Abby or Abby,
2: no, sorry. Jess shared her notes with me before her episode last week. And I was looking through, I'm like, oh my word, she's so organized and put together. And if you look at my notes,
1: it's not, it's not, I know what they mean. See, that's how it's supposed to work. I, I feel like, mean. cause when I do my notes, like I have the world's worst memory. Like it's just terrible. I don't <laughs> even know what I had for breakfast. So Did I have breakfast? Yeah, uh, yeah, I I could have not had (laughs) breakfast for all I know, right? Who knows? (laughs) Who knows?
2: But since you're so organized, I was able to like steal that. So that was that was all you. Love it. (laughs) Uh, So all of these stories. I mean, obviously, you can see the similarities and um, coincidences, and all of this. that they kind of all go together. You can yeah. kind of make this argument that, mm, but like myths, I was, you know, they start off as truth. I think in my mind, at least at some point there was some truth in a myth, but over the years, it just kind of gets more and more diluted. <laughs> and so I just want to kind of compare and contrast these just to drive the point home. First, let's look at Noah versus Gilgamesh. Because, again, there's a lot more here, a lot more similarities here than the others, I think. So Noah built his ark in roughly 55 to 75 years. Gilgamesh took one week to build his houseboat. Uh, The ark was 510 feet, while the houseboat was only 200 feet. Also, this houseboat was seven stories. And it was a square. I don't know if you know that. That's not a boat. That's not, <laughs> no. That's not a boat. That's not a boat. It's not a boat. So, yeah, like, the ark was absolutely seaworthy. And I'm going to try and right. show you a picture here of mm. the ark in Kentucky, which was built to the spe- – like, they followed specifically
1: what it the dimensions the given. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. Maybe. Maybe I'll show you.
1: I believe in you. You can do it. It's somewhere. It's somewhere. There we go. Nope. Not
2: yet, guys. Not yet. I've always wanted to go to the Creation Museum in Kentucky,
1: which my goal uh, is, is on my bucket list go this summer. Hopefully, nice. I like it. So
2: that is what the ark would have looked like according to what you can see or what is told in the Bible. That's a big boat. That's a big boat. And I've heard, I've heard if you go and you go to the Creation Museum, you can spend days inside the boat and still not see everything. Wow. Which that blows my mind. <clears throat> um, but there's also a photo uh, that I have somewhere around here. Of what they think Gilgamesh's boat looked like, according to the story. Maybe.
1: I think this boat would have stood up to Joss. Like this is the kind of boat they needed. This is the kind of boat
2: they needed. Agreed. He might. He might have. That uh, might have been okay. All
1: right. Yeah, I don't so think he would have been able to take a bite out of that one. Yeah. No.
2: So then Gilgamesh's boat, and this is also at the Creation Museum, but it's um, obviously not to scale. Right. Right
1: there. It's a box. It's a box. <laughs> That's not a boat. <laughs> yeah. So
2: yeah, for those of you who can't see it, you're just listening. It is literally a box. It's... Um, I don't know. Could you imagine riding around in that, in the water? I, I don't know I said no. that already,
1: but. I, I mean, this is like the chess theory you were talking about earlier, right? Like to me, the, the water's just tumbling you around. You're not floating. Yeah. Like that thing's not buoyant. Yeah. This isn't like a uh, nice little ride out on the lake. There's a lot going on. <laughs> right. Well, even the arc wouldn't have been a nice little ride out on the no. lake. There still probably would have been a lot of folks being seasick, animals being seasick, right. but, right. The at, the least not... but yeah, at least you're not Yeah, at least you're
2: not like possibly flipping all around. Right. It's kinda it's still not great, but better. The world's better. worst
1: Disney ride. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and then all the just so much that could be tumbling around.
1: Yeah, which we don't have
2: to think that we don't have to nope. talk
1: about
2: that. No, nope. well we won't. <laughs> so more, more to compare and contrast. The right. flood in the Bible lasted 371 days, and the flood in the Epic of Gilgamesh was only one week.
1: Mm.
2: Maybe you could survive a week flood,
1: you know. But that's not a global week. flood. I mean, the reason we understand it True. as a global flood is how long it lasted. Yes. Right. I did read an
2: article also that said at first, the Epic of Gilgamesh said it wasn't a global flood. It was just more mm-hmm. local. And then later they kind of um, embellished and made it a global right. flood. <laughs> that copy paste. So, exactly. Like, Oh, we got that one wrong. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> and just a few more quick things worth mentioning. Okay. And this is kind of in all of them, but there's judgment from the gods or God, This flood is global, at least in these two stories. Most, I think all of these stories.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, The two arcs here were built to specific dimensions given by God or the gods. Um, The arcs were filled with humans and animals. Both landed on a mountain. So in the Bible and uh, in the Epic of Gilgamesh. So Noah lands at Mount Ararat and um, Gilgamesh or Utnapishtim lands at Nysir, which they're less than 500 miles apart. I didn't realize that either. I was like, huh,
1: that's crazy.
2: Yeah. Just, just weird coincidences like that. Um, and both use birds to test. Right. When it's safe to come out and then making, um, sacrifices after and the gods, um, or God. Right. inevitably like, I'm not, I won't do that again. <laughs> um so the thing with this is in all of this if I were to look at this and try to determine which one influenced the other and we kind of already talked about this but it seems to me that the more detailed description of the ark and building the ark and the years it took all the details that you find in the bible that are cohesive and make sense you can literally build an ark (laughs)
1: literally literally, one done. that would float and isn't a box <laughs> right yes and um, all of that is
2: found in the bible and it just seems to me that when you look at it it's more of a historical textbook and yeah. Gilgamesh is just a really cool story with all
1: these kind of cool quirks to it you know what I'm saying it, it feels more like legend. So, like, yeah, just that's a good way. the way they're written, the Bible is so clearly written as a historical account, yes. whereas all of these other myths are very similar, which tells you they have that kernel of truth, the things that are the same, the building of the ark, the deluge of rain, the sending out of the bird, yep. right? Th- these threads that are common between all the myths have to be the kernel of truth, what is not is all of the things that are different. Right. right, Is all the things that are different. Exactly. Yes. Um, So
2: it's just, um, it's just fascinating to me. And again, this is kind of what got me down this rabbit hole and got me interested in finding out more because at first I was kind of like, you know, it's the flood. It happened. Cool. Moving on. (laughs) But again, there's so much more. And um, Let's see here. Before we dive into the more tangible evidence, we're gonna say deuces to YouTube.
1: Peace so, out, YouTube.
2: We always say, "Don't work for woke companies that hate you and your values." So we won't. We stand firm by our beliefs, and that's why we're taking our show over to Romeville and Odyssey. And audio listeners will still get the majority of this episode. But our goal at Hawk Hound is to make sure that we aren't making little compromises to grow our podcast and keep the mob happy. So. Jump off of YouTube and join us on Rumble and Odyssey where we can speak more freely. We'll see you there.
1: You guys don't know it, but we just jam out when we're waiting for the transition. It's great.
2: It's what you miss. And maybe get to the tail end of, so you're welcome. Right. So now diving into the evidence. Welcome to the fun side, everybody. Let's get crazy. Yes. Now I'm jumping ship and going to get into the geological and more current side of this discussion. Um, so, what kind of evidence could there possibly be? Did they find the ark? honestly I didn't even touch that question in my research (laughs) although there's plenty to talk about um and I might have to bring this up again in the future but I just decided to go down a totally different uh path with this and talk a little bit more about the scientific evidence that we've found
1: that's totally fair we could be here all (laughs) night if we talked about every little thing
2: oh my gosh yes and I'm hoping to get through this (laughs) so (laughs) bear with me if I go a little fast but um Let's do it. We got, we got this. We got this. So uh, I'm going to discuss two different events here in America that point to evidence of the this cataclysmic flood. And there's more all over the world, but again, for time's sake, I'm going to just focus on these two and give some details that I think will make sense to everybody. And with these details, when you kind of look at them on the smaller scale that they are, and then you expand on it, you can see how it affects the world, you know? Right. So uh, the first one is the channeled scab lands in the state of Washington. Have you ever been or heard of?
1: Yeah. I heard of them after you mentioned them to me. But before <laughs> right. that, I had never heard of them. Yeah. I, uh, I've actually
2: been in that area of Washington. My family lived there for a short time and I didn't live there, but I went out to visit I didn't even know that that existed. They didn't know that existed. Uh, my my sister-in-law, who lived in Washington for quite a while, I even a- asked my brother, like, did she know about this? He's like, no, she didn't, she didn't know about it either. Wow. Okay. So, and I guess apparently it's a thing in Washington. Like, not even a lot of people know that it's out there. Um, so now I have to go back. Yeah. I have to go back and check it out. But this is the um, east side of Washington, so around Spokane. And I think everybody thinks of Seattle when they think of Washington, but it's on the other side of the mountains where it's very um, arid, a lot more desert-like, dry. Uh, Yeah, so totally different landscape than what you'd think of when you think of Seattle. But I'm going to bring up a picture really quick of what that looks like. So this is one wow. example. It's not a great picture, but it's such a vast area. It's it's hard to get a good yeah yeah. And this right. is a, just a portion of it. Um, if you really want to see a good um, like cinematic view of the Scablands, I suggest watching um, *Ancient Apocalypse* and the very last episode. They talk about the scab lands and the flood and all of that. But even if you don't listen to it and you just watch it, you'll see how really cool and how big, how vast all of this is. So it's called the scab lands because it, um, it's like this giant scab in this yeah. area. It's literally out of nowhere. And um, there's nothing else like it out there. So, in the channeled scablands, there's, I'll describe it for those of you listening. I actually got this from historylink.org and I'll post all this in my notes, but I like how they put it. So, in the channeled scablands, there are huge dry channels, great chunks of prairie stripped down to bare basalt, massive boulders of granite scattered in places far from any other natural source of granite. Circular divots in the earth that are so big, cattle can be hidden in them. Cataracts, one five times as wide as Niagara, that have once clearly been waterfalls. And in an area that gets less rainfall in a year than Seattle does in a month. They, um, you know, where would these waterfalls have kind of come from? Um, And then in the bottom of the deep channels, they're filled with coarse gravel carried in from outside the area and the basalt bedrock has been scoured.
1: So that's kind of their description. Again, I think they just did a good job. It does sound like a giant geological scab. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: And the reason I'm bringing this up and mentioning this and kind of want you to grasp at least a little bit of what it looks like is um, of a theory that was proposed in the 1920s. Actually, in 1923, a geologist... Geologist... Oh, hard. I feel that <laughs> yeah. named Jay Harlan Brett's published a quote outrageous hypothesis mm-hmm. suggesting that the scablands in Washington State were caused by a sudden and violent flood. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Makes me think. But um, really, this was like the first time either in a long time or ever that anyone in the scientific community has suggested a major flood as a reason for why the Scablands existed. The running theme, if you will, or a major principle in the geological and scientific community since the late 1700s was the idea of uniformitarianism,
1: which, yeah, I'm sure you're (laughs) well aware. (laughs) For those in the audience who don't know (laughs) uniformitarianism. Right, it is this principle that suggests that geologic change in the past
2: resulted from the same slow, steady processes of erosion, um, or steady, slow processes at work today. Right. So, they would say the scablands were created by uh, erosion like from the river. Columbia River. Columbia yeah. River. Uh, does that sound familiar? Have <laughs> you heard that before in other places in America? Hmm. Because mm-hmm. I have. It's also how they explain the Grand Canyon in Arizona. Right? Right, that's oh, no. exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. So I remember hearing that
1: in like fifth grade and
2: arguing with my teacher. I would never like do that. Like it's so
1: obvious that it's bunk, right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, I was in fifth grade and I was like, that's crazy. <laughs> and even my even my teacher, who was very adamant that this is this is how it is, and she was like, well, I've been there and the rock does seem pretty steady to me, but obviously it's not as sturdy as, you know, right. as I thought. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> good one. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, so the Colorado River, same as the Columbia River, they slowly eroded the land, which created these areas. Um, so backing up to Brett's, who developed this theory of a sudden and violent flood. He spent a lot of time in the Scablands and even just looking at a topographical map of the area said that this view of uniformitarianism doesn't make sense. He spent a few years studying the Scablands before he wrote the theory and when he did, it didn't go over very well.
1: (laughs) I'm sure that's a huge surprise. Oh, yeah, everybody. Oh, shocking that scientists who say something that aligns with a biblical account are railroaded. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I won't go into all of the drama.
2: But basically, this guy was like, you're a kook, you're a quack. Please stop talking to us. We're not taking you seriously. Yeah. Um, You know, superstitious, it was a word that was thrown a lot around a lot and like, to suggest anything biblical. And he wasn't even trying to prove the Bible. Right. He was just saying, like, I'm looking at this. And that's what makes sense to me as a
1: geologist. I'm using my eyeballs and my logic. Yes. And this just doesn't happen from slow erosion. Right. Right, Exactly. And I'll get into that more. But I
2: do want to bring up that. So it took 50 years 50 years of ridicule for this guy. And after that, in 1979, he was given the Penrose Medal, which is the top prize awarded by the Geological Society of America. Wow. 50 years of this guy being called a quack. And finally, they're like, oh, no, I guess you were on to something.
1: Oh, how Here about that?
2: Go. Yeah, how about that? It took him a little while. I think At he, least was he was 96. still alive. Well, barely. Yeah barely and that's the best part so i love this quote from him apparently he said this to his son after he got the medal he said all of my enemies are dead so i have no one to gloat over (laughs) oh i love that i do too i was like and i guess that kind of sums him up as a character too because from what i was reading about him first of all i think you'd have to have a pretty good um you have to be pretty aware of yourself like Pretty confident of yourself to be taking all that for a very long time. Right. And, uh, yeah, it's just a good good summary of him, and I think it's funny. I like it. Yeah. So, again, he didn't set out to prove that there was a biblical flood. It just made sense for this area. And now today, it's a widely accepted fact that a major flood did take place in this area, and that's why the scablins are the way they are. Yeah. Wow.
1: I'm... Now, if only they would extrapolate that and apply it to things like the Grand Canyon.
2: Weird. Just weird. Uh,
1: Side note, and I
2: honestly don't have an answer to this, but it's just uh, something that came across while I was doing this research and didn't have time to dive into. But um, my thought was, if this is the case, like if this is really... What has happened? The uniformitarianism and the slow erosion. Right. Uh, why don't we see this more with other rivers that are considerably older, like older than the right. Colorado
1: River in the Grand Canyon? Like, why hasn't the Euphrates done that? That's exactly what I looked up. <laughs> <laughs> but there, there are rivers even
2: older than that, which I didn't know. Right. And... um so the Colorado River is considered the 10th oldest river, which is alongside the Nile, like within right. millions of years of each other. So they're, yeah, I know. Yeah. Take that yeah. with a grain of yeah. salt. we
1: have thought about that
2: eventually. Right. And we'll get there too. Not today, but yeah, eventually. Right. There are canyons in the Nile Valley too, but not all of these rivers, and especially the older ones have canyons like you see in Arizona. And again, I don't have the answers, but it's kind of like... Mm. Wouldn't that be no more normal if that was the case? If anybody has an answer, I'm more than right. willing to hear it. It's just kind of a little tangent. I'm going to go down. So there you go. There's I like my, it. yeah. There's my, I, yeah.
1: I would think it would be more normal. Like we would see it more wide scale if supposedly that's what happened.
2: Right, right. Uh, like the Grand Canyon wouldn't be that grand because right. it's everywhere. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, again, this is widely accepted today as far as the scablands go as to why that happened. Um, but the theory is that the water came in from Lake Missoula in Minnesota. So at the time of the last ice age, an ice dam, which created Lake Missoula behind it, um, had more water in it than Lake Erie and Lake Ontario combined. Wow. Uh, yeah. It broke apart and all the water came rushing out and flowed to the scab lands, causing all the changes made to that area.
1: Mm.
2: And a theory, if not the theory, is that it happened several times. So the ice dam broke, the water came out and flowed to the Scablands, and then the ice dam would like solidify again and the water, the lake would fill up. Anybody listening? I'm sorry you're missing all my hand gestures, <laughs> by the way. hand gestures
1: are just on point. I think you must not be part Italian or something. I know. Just talking with your hands. I know. All the time. Anyway, sorry you're missing that
2: <laughs> helpful, the helpful gesture. <laughs> the helpful analogy. Yeah. It really makes sense when I put my hands into it. But anyway. That's right. <laughs> Gosh, sorry. So the ice dam broke. The water came out. It would re-solidify. The lake would fill up again, break again, come down, cause more damage. And, like, this would just repeat um, several times every hundred years. Right. Um someone who refutes this is Randall Carlson. And I know because of all the things we've shared back and forth. Actually, if I'm honest, it's all the things Jess has shared with me. <laughs> um, the I know she knows who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure some of you watching or listening have heard of him. If you haven't heard of him, he's kind of this jack-of-all-trades guy. He's an explorer, a scholar, a teacher, researcher, um, a geometrician, and a geomythologist. Never heard of either of those. He wears a lot you? of hats. He wears a lot of hats, yeah. Um. Yes. Uh, and some of his areas of research include mythology, astronomy, earth science, paleontology, symbolism, and a lot more. But he's considered a bit of an expert when it comes to ancient history and what geology has to show us. So again, for the sake of time, I won't dive deep into all he has to say on this subject, but he doesn't buy the theory that it was only Lake Missoula that created the Scablands. He believes there was not enough volume of water to account for the destruction caused in the Scablands and that the ice dam breaking and solidifying again repeatedly at the end of the ice age doesn't hold water.
1: Right. it's (laughs) No ah, uh, yeah, it's <laughs> so
2: funny. The water punch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tick. Water. But, but so it doesn't make sense in that it was cold enough at the end of the ice age. Well, first of all, it was warm enough that everything would break, and then it was cold enough again for this to this ice dam to reform, but also not too cold for the lake to fill back up with water. Right. So that just so it's that like a slushy heat.
1: lake right right that somehow is still
2: behind this ice dam that breaks and comes back
1: i don't know you have to take that more on faith than just accepting a cataclysmic right. flood right so again like we're not the only ones
2: who take things on faith right so just saying but he doesn't believe it either and and again he's not one to um really jump on the Global flood boat. Sure. <laughs> okay, sorry, I, <laughs> <stopped>. <laughs> I might have more, but uh, I'll try to reframe. No, I love it. Uh, but he said that not only that, but the volume of water in that inlet, Missoula, um, wasn't enough to cause all that damage. And he, but he, his theory is that um, it may have been caused by an impact from a comet. Into the cordil, Oh my goodness! I had this earlier. You got it. Yeah. Cordilleran ice cap, and this would have melted an incomprehensible amount of water flowing down from Washington, Idaho, and Montana, or flowing down into Washington, Idaho, and Montana. Not a terrible theory.
1: More believable, I think, than. An ice dam that keeps... At like, least it's something. Yeah. It's not great. It's not great,
2: but I think it is slightly be- better. Yeah. Um, and again, it only explains the scab lands. It doesn't... And that's just kind of where they focused. But right. I like this example because um, it's very similar to the Grand Canyon. Mm-hmm. It's something we can go see pretty easily yeah. as far as Americans <laughs> kind of... I mean, Washington's pretty far from me, but, and you too, but
1: you know what I'm saying? Well, it's closer than like going to a different continent to see some evidence where there is plenty of evidence on other continents as well. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, and I did,
2: I did just focus on America and the evidence here, but there is a ton all over. Like I said, the Nile Valley, there's a huge canyon there that I'm sure has, I didn't jump on that one either because time. We would seriously be here all night. We could be here all night. I won't keep you Still. all night. I promise. It is Friday. so It is Friday. Just hang it's out, chill with
1: us, grab a beer, you know? Yeah, exactly.
2: You can pregame with us, and then you can go out after. That's right. Whatever.
1: Whatever. Do your thing. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> They're going crazy with the water puns in the chat. <laughs> basically one could say that we're drowning in puns. Oh, snap. <laughs> I love it. Yes. Keep the water puns coming, guys.
2: Yay! Keep them coming. I like it too. Help me out. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to jump to another example that I have, and this one, that's, it's talking more about the geological timescale. So I'm sure you're familiar with that mm-hmm. as well. Uh, I'm not going to lie. When it comes to looking into like the scientific side of history, not just the stories, which is really what I'm what I'm here for,
1: right? But like geology and paleontology is. Way above my pay grade. Well, so just like the geological timescale is that that carbon dating timescale, right? That they've blocked it off from, like, you think of the Jurassic, Triassic uh, periods and all the things like that. So if if you can wrap your brain around that, you know what geological time is.
2: Yeah, exactly. So me dumbing it down further for myself. Love it. Um, Basically, the idea is, you know, the lower you go into the rock layers, the older the rock is and the older the right. fossils are. And that's where we get the different time periods, like you just said. Yeah. So in the reverse, you know, the closer you are, the more recent.
1: Ta-da. Ta-da. <laughs> if only that were 100% true. If only that were true. But if we're going <laughs> to go
2: with that argument, um, this kind of shoots it in the foot. Right. Could not come up with a water pun for that off the top of my head. Sorry, guys. It drowns it. It drowns it. it drowns it. It's so obvious. <laughs> Dang it! Oh wow. Well, anyway, but the the question here is: Does it take millions of years for these rock layers to form, or can they form more quickly under the right conditions? Mm. So I'm going to share a video with you that I think will answer this question. I like it beautifully. So, this video is describing what happened um, geologically after Mount St. Helens erupted in 1980.
1: Bookstore Thor blows it out of the water. How did we (gasps) miss that one?
2: Blows it out of the water. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Man, I'll get better at these puns, I I promise. Anyway, here, here we go.
0: On May 18, 1980, Mount St. Helens, located 95 miles south of Seattle, Washington, erupted. The eruption was triggered by an earthquake centered beneath the mountain that measured 5.1 on the Richter scale. The lateral blast swept out the north side of Mount St. Helens at 300 miles per hour with temperatures as high as 660 degrees Fahrenheit and the power of 24 megatons of thermal energy, it snapped 100-year-old trees like toothpicks and stripped them of their bark. Before the famous eruption at Mount St. Helens, scientists were mostly familiar with slow-acting examples of geologic change. But at Mount St. Helens, geologists watched the Earth's surface change quite rapidly. Icebergs were buried in hot avalanche material, they melted and formed badlands in days. Eruptions on May 18 and June 10 produced fine layers in hours. On June 10, mudflows cut zigzag canyons 100 feet deep in soft sand and mud, complete with perpendicular side canyons. Canyons that are reminiscent of the geography of Grand Canyon only 40 times smaller and clearly produced within hours. Mud flows over the following decade cut hundreds of feet into solid rock in just days of cutting time. Fallen trees formed a log mat on the surface of Spirit Lake and dropped bark to the bottom of the lake, accumulating up to three feet of bark peat in just a couple years. and vertically floating logs sinking to the bottom of the lake resulted in buried trees in only a decade. Similar to the trees of Yellowstone's fossil forest, which are also buried in volcanic layers. Even though Mount St. Helens is a very small catastrophe compared to the flood, or the major catastrophes immediately following the flood, it provides a better clue to what happened in those times than the slow geologic processes which are most commonly seen in the present.
1: I love it.
2: Yeah, so I like this video because basically this is just confirming that under catastrophic conditions, you can get a lot of change in a very short period of time. Um, so one of the things they mentioned was the Engineers Canyon, which is 1 of like to scale with the Grand Canyon. And I've got a picture of that here. It's not a great picture. It's very small. And I'm sorry. It's very small. It's very small. Can we I zoom in it. at all? Can we? I don't know. I couldn't get it to zoom in. Oh, okay. And I apologize. So. No, you're good. If y'all can squint with me and look at this photo. <laughs> squint. There is a very small stream. Oh, yeah. That runs through right here.
1: And you can see, you know, the cliffs and the edges. Maybe you can see it. I don't know. It, it was very... It, all of this destruction very clearly caused by that tiny little stream. Exactly. So that's the thing is, we know
2: that this was not caused by that stream because right. um, we know what happened. It happened, you know, what, 43 years ago? Right. Um, and this... So I think they said it in the video or if they didn't, this was cut out in nine hours. It only took nine nine hours. Yeah. For this to happen.
1: To see that sediment pile up. Yeah,
2: exactly. Um, So nine hours and we get this engineer's Canyon, which is very similar to the grand Canyon. Mm. Um, And obviously, you know, it's smaller. The stream running through, it doesn't even compare to the Colorado river, but even so there are similarities in their formations.
1: Right. Right
2: that speak to me of a cataclysmic event, making more sense than a slow progression over time. Right. Um, another example, let's see if I can pull up. (laughs) Let's see if you can see this one, but this one's really cool. Again, not really my area, but it is a picture of, there we go. Ooh. Yeah. So volcanic ash flow, this happened June 12th of 1980. Um, So just less than a month after Mount St. Helens officially erupted. Um, All this volcanic ash came down 90 miles an hour. And this is 25 feet of thin multiple layers created by that volcanic ash flow after the eruption. How long would you guess? I don't know if it says here. Nope. Doesn't give me away. but how long would you guess that it took for these layers to form after that
1: like roughly? Oh, it's going by the geologic time, right? I would think it would have taken millions of years. Right. Right. But it three obviously hours. didn't. <laughs> right. Three hours. Yeah, exactly. Three oh. hours.
2: This formed in three hours. So typically, geologists would look at this and think each layer was a separate event that took years to form. So possibly taking place over hundreds, thousands, maybe millions of years, depending on the number of layers. Um, and in this instance, you know, they would think years and years and years. Right. But it's just one afternoon, one afternoon, all of this was created. And if we didn't have, um, you know, if we weren't there, I wasn't there, but is well-documented. They saw it. They watched it happen. They have video hours. evidence. Yeah. Of all of this taking place, again, in such a short amount of time. And if you take this relatively small-scale event, you know, small compared to a global catastrophe, right. and then you start to expand, this begins to give you an idea of how rapidly rock layers were formed due to the flood. Hmm. So when um, – not only was there the flood, but, you know, the, the Bible talks about the earth opening and right. um, Water all these other, out. Yes, thank you. Yeah. So all of this destruction could easily explain how we have all these rock layers and formations so quickly rather than millions of years and the earth being millions of years old. Right. All of this happened quickly, which... Um, it just makes more sense to me, I guess. And in this way that we're looking at things, I don't know. It's like a light bulb just went off in my head. Like, oh, yeah,
1: yeah. There it we go. Makes sense. Hmm. I mean, just look at how the strata of this rock looks so much different from the layers around it. Yeah. You know? Exactly. And yeah, and I love how
2: there's this little person down here with. Uh,
1: All right for
2: scale. For scale. Just so you can, just so you can see. But I just found both of these examples to be fascinating
0: really and also
2: pointing, way. yeah, pointing to like, maybe there's more. So I kind of want to end on this note before we jump into chat with everyone. Um, just a final thought, like, what if we took like the religious aspect of the flood out of this for the sake of argument? Right. Right. And, you know, what I mean is, what if we put the story of No Noah, the, called it the Hebrew myth, if you will, and compared right. it to the other flood myths, and if we put this on the same playing field as other historical texts, could we discover more truths about our past if our society and culture, academia, didn't have such a stigma against right. Christianity and Judaism? Just food for thought what more could we possibly discover if our resources were focused on expanding our minds and having more flexible minds rather than the dogma of kind of what
1: we face today? I really like that because I, I I point at scientists a lot, but geologists, archaeologists get so stuck in their routines. They're so afraid to refer to the Bible as a historical work because it's connected to our faith. Mm -hmm. And if they would just stop for five seconds and realize how much is correlated throughout all of history, how much more could we learn?
2: How much more can we learn? How much are we missing yeah, And not that there aren't scientists, archaeologists, all of them. Not that they're not out there, because they definitely are. But I think those ones who are creation scientists definitely don't get the clout. They don't get the um, support yeah. that the rest of them do. So anyway.
1: Definitely don't.
2: Just some, just some random thoughts for everybody to ponder before we
1: go to bed tonight. <laughs> I like it. Thank you. Well,
2: I think we're going to jump into our chat on Rumble and Odyssey, and I'm going to bring up a hypothesis on where I think the majority of the water that flooded the earth came from and where we can find it now. Ooh, how exciting.
1: Before we jump over for our audio listeners, I just want to preview what we're going to talk about next week. Yes. So next week, just to continue with the water theme, um, (laughs) more water More fun's coming. Yep. We're going to talk about the ocean unexplored and mysterious i mean you talk about something that mankind has not given enough thought to it's the ocean yep so i'm excited to talk about that hope to uh, have all you audio listeners back next week everybody on rumble stick around for us to explore new things